0: Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Missio Church again. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the elders, and we are glad that you are all here on this actual beautiful Syracuse day. This is Syracuse, New York. If you live here, this is your present and your future. And uh, um, so those sunny days, don't think that's your home. This is our home. Amen and amen. So, um, yeah. Uh, Our text for this morning comes from Mark chapter 13. Um, We're going to read the first 13 verses of this text. Levi will finish uh, this chapter next week. Uh, And so uh, I've heard over the last, uh, really, just uh, a couple days, there's some people that are worried about this uh, because it deals to some degree with uh, the eschaton and the last things. Uh, People wondering what we think about that. If you want to know what I think about the last things, you can talk to Karen Avery because She got my opinion on it the other day, and in five minutes, she can tell you what I think about that. But we're just going to actually look at the text and read what the text says and not worry about what people think, because what people think doesn't really matter. We're just going to see what Jesus says about these things today. So um, with that, happy Father's Day, whatever that means to you, and let's read the the text of Scripture. So, uh, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, this is the word of the Lord. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. People are not all that different. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? You can imagine they're like, Oh, yeah. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial. And deliver you over to... Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak. But the Holy Spirit. And brother... Will deliver brother over to death, and the father, happy Father's Day here, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word, for the truth, for the veracity for the hope, for the comfort of Your Word. Even hard word like this. For it gives us comfort for all of time. Lord, we pray that we, Your people, would look at Your Word and through the gift of Your Spirit would hear what You are saying to Your people, to the church. And that we would live in light of Your Word. We pray that over the next few moments that we would have our ears opened and our eyes open to what you would say. Lord, if there are any in this room this morning that don't yet know you, that have not yet embraced Jesus for who he really is, the Savior of the world, um, the one who takes away the sin of the world, that today would be the day that you would open up their eyes to that truth and that they would embrace Jesus as Savior, as King, as Lord. And that you would be glorified in that. We pray that not just here, but in every place in this city, in this community, in this region, in this state, in this nation, and in this world, that you would continue to build your church. And that you would be glorified in doing such. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. When we look at Mark chapter 13, and again... uh, uh, I, I have the first 13 verses of this. Levi has uh, far more next week. And so uh, when we think about what we're doing here this morning, um, it, it, it dovetails into what he's going to do next week. So keep that in mind. But Mark chapter 13 is really the continuation of Mark chapters 11, 12, and 13. They, they go together. And so Jesus has been um, doing some ministry in and around the temple and so then that concludes with his disciples saying to him, look at these buildings, right? Look at these beautiful stones, right? People, again, like I said, they're not that different, right? People are consumed with, 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 um, with, with place and with buildings. And for the, for the, the people of Israel and for the, for the Jewish people, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, Herod had come and he had rebuilt the temple, And he had rebuilt all of Jerusalem. He'd done a massive rebuilding project in the last half of of the century prior to the birth of Christ, leading into um, the, the life of Jesus. So Herod the Great had done this. And even to this day, this day today, right, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they still talk about the buildings that Herod the Great had built. So when they talk about the temple, they don't talk about Solomon's temple. Right? Which is the temple that God Himself said, here are the, the, the measurements, right? In, in, our, in our staff meetings, we're reading through First Kings and, and we read this the other day, how God had given uh, the 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 um, uh, you know the dimensions for, for Solomon's temple. But he does not give the dimensions for Herod's temple, right? God cared deeply for Solomon's temple, but for Herod's temple, that was Herod. Right? Building upon that which Zerubbabel had already done. Right? God didn't do that. Herod did that. Right? And God does not share His glory with anyone else. Right? And if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see this full-scale model. Right, It's like the size of this stage of, of, of Jerusalem during the time of Herod the Great and the temple. And they still celebrate these great buildings. I'm so grateful for this space that we have. Right? It's a home to, to, to gather and to, to 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 celebrate the greatness of our God together, to worship together, to allow other congregations to gather, to, to worship together, to train people. But, but this home does not define who we are as a people. It's just, it's just brick and mortar. And some of it's not even brick, it's styrofoam. It just looks like nice brick. Right? We're grateful for it, but it's a tool, it's a resource. And so when people from the outside look and say, ah, look at Missio Church, if they ever looked at this building and defined us by this building, they would say, you know, the bathrooms, they kind of smell. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with those who clean the bathrooms, we're grateful for that. There's just nothing you can do with a hundred-year-old bathroom. I have ideas in my head, though. There's just nothing you can do about that. This does not define us. Right? And part of the reason I think that God allowed the destruction of that temple was because the presence of the Lord, which is what the temple always represented, was right there in front of them. And they said, we'd rather have brick and mortar. Look at these beautiful buildings. His own followers. I mean Jesus you're pretty cool but look at these beautiful buildings. Right? And so they begin to say to him right as he says not a stone is going to be left. Now there's still right even though that temple's been destroyed there are still uh, the the base of where that temple was built, the Temple Mount. There are still people that are there right at the wall, and and, and so the, the building itself isn't there, but there are still people that go every day and are there where the temple was. Right? Jesus says, not a stone's gonna be left. And so although that building's not there, there are still remnants of what was built. When are these things gonna take place? They say because he when he says it's gonna be destroyed, that instantly causes them to say, Well, well, when? And that that piques our curiosity as well, right? That that piques, that piques us to pull out our charts and go all John Hagee and say, whoa ho, ho! When can we figure these things out? Right? I studied history in college. I've got a degree in history. I still read history. Like I'm curious about the unfolding of events and how things happen. Right? And so people want to do these things and then say, this will take place in this and that's and that, and then that b blah, and bah, ha ha. But that's not really the purpose of what Jesus does with his disciples. All right? They ask a question about when. And Jesus begins to talk to them about who. What type of people? Who are you? And what type of people will you be now in preparation for everything that will unfold throughout all of time? So Mark 13 is not so much about trying to figure out circumstances so that you can know. Because Jesus Himself says, I don't even know. Because I'm not concerned about it. Right? If it was so important for us to know the when, Jesus would know. But what was important to the Son of God was who the people of God would be for all of time. Right, and 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 I want you to see this. Right, this this is a a, a, this this isn't a direct quote, but it's a paraphrase from from James Edwards in his commentary on Mark. That Mark thirteen is less about future events and their foretelling, and more about Christ's people and their present trust in Him and their discipleship. Right, let's read that again. That Mark thirteen is less about future events. And they're foretelling. That doesn't mean that there isn't some aspect. I mean, Jesus says, you're going to see this, and you're going to see this, and you're going to see this. Like, these things are going to happen. Right? He's not just throwing out, like, fake news. These things are going to happen. But, But He tells them that because He's concerned more about their present trust in Him and their discipleship. Because many of the things that are going to happen... They're not even going to see. Remember, He's gathered with four men. He's not gathered with, with a crowd. He's not gathered with even the twelve. He's gathered with Peter and Andrew and James and John. And many of the details that He's going to describe in Mark chapter 13, some of them are going to deal with the destruction of the temple that's going to take place in 70 A.D., right? And some of them are going to deal with His return, Right? And he's going to go back and forth and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to let Levi deal with all of that. I got the easy text. He's got the other stuff. Right? But, but some of these guys aren't even going to be alive for this. I mean, in Acts chapter 12, we're going to see that, that Andrew, or the James, I'm sorry, James loses his head. Right? Andrew is crucified, right, outside of Corinth. Peter, right? Peter's crucified in Rome. And so these things are more about how they're going to live in light of what is going to happen. Not so much the things that are going to happen, but who will you be and how will you trust me in light of circumstances? John himself is going to endure. Like, he doesn't lose his head, but he goes through so much garbage, man. Like, everybody acts like John gets off easy because he lives. He lives. But that cat gets boiled in oil, alive, and survives. Like, I don't know what one looks like on the other side of that. Like, I've always thought, if I go through some sort of tragic thing, I don't want to survive it. So God, so, so, so God through his son, is telling his his followers, what type of people he wants them to be, right? And so what I want to do is I want to look at some imperative statements that Jesus gives these four men in this text, right? So beginning in verse 5, he says this to them. And it's very interesting that, 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 that verse 3 says that they asked these things privately, Right? But in verse 5 it says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Right? See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying that I am he. And they will lead many astray. Right? I want you to focus on who I actually am. And all the things that I've told you about who I am and about who my Father is, And about who I am in relation to my Father. Because there are going to be many people that come and they say, no, 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 no. He was a fraud, but I'm the Messiah. But I want you to remember who I am. And if you study the history of Israel at this point in time, there were many people that claimed to be Messiah. Many people who claimed to be the deliverer of the Jews from the oppressors. Right? But only one. Only one rose from the dead. Only one, only one claimed to be the spiritual king who came from the Father to to liberate His people from from sin. Only one. The rest, they came and they said, Rome, we're going to do away with Rome. We're going to do away with the oppression, the political oppression. We are going to deliver the people from that and we're going to be an independent people right and in so doing they led others astray and there were other religious leaders that said no 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 we're going to interpret the law through this but only one came and said lamb of god came to take away the sin of the world only one came and bore the sins of the world in his flesh as the son of god only one, only one, only one. And so as Jesus begins to prepare his followers, begins to prepare these four men, the closest men in the world to himself, right? If there were any people that you would think would never be led astray, these are the men. that he says, see Say to it that you're not led astray. If, as he begins to prepare them, to unfold for them, the, the types of men he wants them to be in light of the things that are gonna come, he says, I want you to just spend Time with me. I want you to focus on me. Remember who I am. Because they're going to come. They're going to come. They're going to be people. And they're going to try to lead you astray. Like, I would hope that my brothers, I would hope that the, 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 the dudes that I work with, I would hope that my sons and my daughter, they would remember, like when I'm gone, they would remember who I am. I'm nobody. I'm nobody to remember. But that they would at least remember who I am. That they wouldn't be like, well, no, I don't remember him. But, but, but Jesus is imploring them. That as the foundation of the people that you are going to be, as I'm going to tell you all these other things that are going to happen, the only way that you're going to survive this is to keep your attention solely on me. Again, you wouldn't think that Peter would need to hear this. You wouldn't think that James would need to hear this, or John would need to hear this, or Andrew would need to hear this, but that's what we as the people of God need to hear. Because there are days that are coming, and they are already here. There hasn't been a day, as a matter of fact, in my life where the thing that I needed more than anything else was to keep my eyes on Jesus, to be reminded over and over and over and over and over and over over again. To keep my eyes on Jesus, to keep my eyes on Jesus, to keep my eyes on Jesus, not to be looking here, not to be looking there, not to be thinking about that, not to be thinking about this, but to remember, to remember, to remember. Because what the enemy, my enemy, your enemy, our enemy wants to do is to lead me astray, to distract me, and to cause me to think about so many other things. So that's the first thing Jesus warns them with. Don't be led astray, remember who I am. Keep your eyes on me. Right? The text goes on. He says this. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Right? These things must, this must be take, take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. Right? Do not be alarmed by the birth pains. I remember when my daughter was born, right? My, my daughter, Sophie, she's about to graduate from high school. She's 18 years old, right? So this is a long time ago for me, um, uh, you know? And I remember the day, uh, like, so my wife wakes me up. I'm in the middle of a dream. I don't remember a lot of dreams. I remembered this one. My wife wakes me up. I'm like, why did you wake me up? And she's like, well, I've got, and I was like, look, I was just having a dream. I had just watched Rocky two for like, I don't know, Probably the 743rd time. It's the only movie in the world I cry to. When Rocky wins the belt and calls out to Adrian over the TV, I cry. Because I feel as if we're in this together. It's the only emotional response I have to anything in the world. And so I begin to explain to her, I was just having a dream. Rocky, Adrian, and I, we were having a moment. And she's like, I- I'm going into labor. I'm like, I, I just shh. I need to tell you about this dream. She's like, I'm going into labor. I'm like, okay, whatever, labor. So I call the hospital, and they're like, no, 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 the contractions are the, these are just the beginnings of her birth pains. So I'm like, see, let me tell you about my dream. (laughs) Jesus says, when you hear about these things, war, nation, rising against nation, right? When you hear about, about um, you know, earthquakes, when you hear about famine, don't be alarmed. Right? We hear about these things. They're all over the place. They've always been all over the place. Right? Wars. And we think, we think that, that that the, 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 our governmental systems and the systems that we have a tendency to place our trust in will bring about the end of these things. Whether they be uh, political conflicts between nations, that there should be peace, and so we build up institutions that, that promote the peace between nations, and, and all of a sudden we're perplexed when that does not work. Well... Or we, we look at um, sustainability in, 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 in the world and, and ecological preservation, you know. And, and please don't hear me say that we shouldn't be about peace or we shouldn't be about the preservation of the planet. We should be. But we're surprised when there's still earthquakes or when there's still, like I remember when, when I, the first time I moved to Florida back in 92, we got there on a Friday, right? And on Monday, Hurricane Andrew hit and I remember the remnants of Andrew flying over our house in southwest Florida, right, after it had just devastated Homestead. And I didn't even know what a hurricane did. But I, I drove over to go to college, like, four days later, and everything was on the ground. It was unbelievable. And I remember when, when Hurricane Ch- um, Charlie came, I bought a house, my wife and I, we bought a house in, what was it, 2004, Right? And I bought a house. we closed on Friday. We moved in on Saturday. I boarded the sucker up on the next Saturday or the next Friday. And that thing hit on Saturday. Right? And just the devastation like my son Jonas, he was born on Sunday in a hospital. My wife was due a few weeks later, but the the pressure put her into labor and it was fine cuz it was the only place that had air conditioning. It was the hospital. And for years, when he was a little kid, I would call him Charlie. And he'd be like, My name's not Charlie. Brat. I was like, I know your name's not Charlie. But he was, you know, you have these things. They happen. We're not going to stop them. But they remind us of something that the world is broken. Famine. There are people. That are going without. There's poverty in the world. And we need to be about serving those that have need. Right? It reminds us that the world is broken. But these are just the beginnings of pains. Of a groaning. Paul tells us in Romans that that the, the whole creation groans. For the revelation of the sons of God. It groans for the restoration. Because it's broken. It groans. This is what Jesus is talking about. Right? And we can do everything we want. We can look to all of these things. and, and, And again, please hear me. We need to be about serving in all of these areas. But with an understanding that only when Only when Revelation 21 happens will this thing be restored. So I am about alleviation of suffering, recognizing that suffering will not be fully alleviated until Revelation 21. I am all about serving and band-aiding. I am all about doing everything I can to serve people and share the gospel with people until God restores all things and wipes away every tear from every eye and restores. He says, don't be alarmed by this. Don't be alarmed by this. I've allowed it. I've allowed pain and suffering in the world. Right? And this, th- he starts out on the, on the fringes. That doesn't mean that war and, and famine and, and natural disaster doesn't affect us doesn't affect the people of God. It does. But he kind of starts out and he kind of then moves in. Right? And then he starts talking about types of persecution. Right? In verse 9. But be on your guard. Right? For they will deliver you. Right? The wars, they, they kind of feel over there, even though they may touch us. But they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them. All right? Verse 9. Be on your guard. Right? The, there, there are two, two types of persecution he's going to talk about in this text. This is the first one. It comes from the powers that be. From councils, from synagogues, from governors, from kings. Right, From those that are in positions of power. From the, those that are in the central places in society who look at the people of God and say, mm-mm, 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 no, nope, we're going to squeeze, we're going to squeeze, we're going to squeeze, we're going to squeeze, right? And, and he says, be on your guard. This is going to happen. Right, now he says this to these four men, and again, think of these four men and think of what happens, right? Acts 12, 22. James is the first one of Jesus' disciples to lose his head. Right? Andrew, crucified outside of Corinth. Peter, crucified in Rome. John, just, just is, he goes through it. But look at what Jesus says. He says two things in, 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 this, in this part here, in verses 9 and 10, that are huge principles that we need to understand about who we are as God's people and how we're to live. Because we. There's a theology that is in the church that is just rancid. And that is that that as the people of God, we will not be touched. We we should not experience hardship, right? This whole prosperity garbage thought that, that if we're God's people, we shouldn't experience suffering in any way. And that is just rancid nastiness. Because look at what Jesus says here. Look at what the purpose of persecution is, right? In verse nine, he says, "This you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them." Right? The reason why the church gets squeezed, right, is not because um, you know woes us we're victims. It's not because you know we haven't fought hard enough in the political sphere, and we need to fight harder. It's because God is giving us opportunity to bear witness for him. Whoa, quiet there. Nobody likes that. Wait a minute, let me say that again. The reason why the world hates you, the reason why you will get called in, the reason why you are going to get squeezed, why you're being squeezed, the reason why those on the outside of this world building and in this culture will squeeze us and are squeezing us is so that we will have opportunity to bear witness. It is for his sake. It's not so that you can play the victim card. Right? It's not so that you can be like, oh, they just don't like me. It's because they hate Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. The purpose of persecution in the life of the church is for Christ's namesake. And it is so that we would have opportunity to bear witness for him. And then he says in verse 10, he gives us this great missiological truth that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now, depending on how you read Mark, there's one of two endings, right? Mark either ends in chapter 16, I think it's verse 9, Or you read it all the way through. I read it as ending in verse 9. And if you'd read that, you don't see a Great Commission text. Right? And so people say, ah, ah, ah. But you actually see Great Commission text all throughout the book of Mark. Here being one. That the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Right? And in in the Greek here, you have pontita ethne. Right? It's not so much nations, i.e. borders. Right? Um, Physical borders. This is to all people right? To, to every ethnic group, the gospel must go out and be proclaimed. This is where we get this idea is from this particular passage. And it's in the midst of the persecution of God's people that Jesus says that the gospel, it, it must go out to all people, right? Everywhere. You're going to be squeezed. You're going to be squeezed for a particular purpose, and that purpose is so that you bear witness for me. And oh, by the way, I want you to bear witness for me everywhere, everywhere in the world. And the thing is, we, because we're people, and people have a tendency to be myopic, we have a tendency to read these texts and to think uh, and to interpret these things based upon the things that we experience. I was with a guy in Cuba maybe two years ago and he saw, um, he saw some homosexual activity in his uh, um, community and he thought, huh? the end is near! And I was like, dude, like, if that was the case, like just because now there's homosexual activity in Cuba, uh, you know, he was reading everything based upon his life right? Uh, And that's the way people read these things, right? Uh, And so people in America have a tendency to say, well, we're not facing persecution. And so, but all around the world, the church is facing extreme persecution. We have not yet felt it in the way that others have Right? We feel it a little bit when you're in the workplace and people maybe pick on you or your, um, your, your neighbors may, may say some things or maybe they reject an invitation that you've given them to, to something. And, or, or you have a family member that says something, you know, uh, Levi and I were with someone the other day and they had a family member that say something and they, oh, they, they, they felt persecuted and, and it's understandable that we interpret it that way. But, but there are people in the world that are losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. These things should not take us by surprise because these are the things that Jesus told us. That doesn't mean that the end is near. I don't know when the end will come because these things have been going on ever since, you know, Mark 13 was recorded. And so I think that this was recorded so that we would be people who are keeping our focus on Jesus, people who are not alarmed, and we see these things happening, people who have our guard up, right? I think this is the, the counsel that Jesus gave these four men, and this is the counsel that he continues to give to us, his followers. He continues on. In verse 11, he says this, And when they bring you to trial, right? Now, these were actual trials, but you may consider just even the, the trials that you experience in your life, when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Right? So, when they bring you to trial, like when they publicly accuse you, and when they force you to give an account when they, when they ask you why it is that you believe what you believe, don't be anxious. Now, the Spirit speaking through you is not an excuse for you not to be prepared, right, with what you would say, right? right? Like, I know a lot of guys that say, well, I don't prepare to speak because I don't prepare to preach because of this particular type of a passage, right? Like, the Spirit speaking through you is not a, a reason for you not to have an understanding of the gospel, not to have a, have a, a, a clear um, understanding of how you would communicate the gospel. Um, but still, nonetheless, it is the Spirit who communicates the gospel through His people. And so you don't need to be worried because it's the Spirit that is the one who draws people to Himself and is the one who's communicating through you. You just have to proclaim And so again, I think this is why Jesus orders it this way. Focus your attention on me. Always focus your attention on me. Be looking at me. Be looking at my word. Be feasting upon me. Right? Don't be alarmed. Be on your guard. Don't be anxious. Right? These things work in an order. And then he speaks to the second type of persecution. And brother will deliver brother over to death. Now, we live in a culture where family has broken down in such a way that we read these verses, and they still shock us, but they don't shock us the way that they would have shocked these men, right? Again, think of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to two sets of brothers, right? He's talking to James and John. He's talking to Philip and Andrew, right? He's talking to people in a Jewish culture where family, the family unit, is it's, it, it, it's paramount. Right? Brother, we'll rise up against brother. We'll deliver brother over to death. Like, the ability to compute this in the mind of a first century Jewish person, or even the first century person in the Roman world is like, what are you talking about? You know, when he says in the very next verse, a father, his child, like, what are you talking about? Like, how could that be that a father, right, here on Father's Day, would deliver up his own child? That would never happen. How could that happen? Now, we live in a fatherless society here in the United States. Where fathers deliver up their own child for a comfort and ease of life. Not so much to the authorities, but to anyone else that would take care of them. But what Jesus is talking about here is that because a man or a woman would come to faith in Jesus, that, that a brother would deliver them up to the authorities for persecution. Or a father would deliver them up to the authorities for arrest, and children would rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, he's not talking about the fact that you have, in and of yourself, the ability to save yourself. Please don't misunderstand him, right? He's talking about that those who are his, they will endure, right? It will, be, it will be evident, right? This is the second type of persecution. The first was from the powers that be. The second is, is hatred from those closest to you, rejection from those relationships, right? And that hatred is not because of their, your obnoxious behavior, Right? It's not because you're a brother who is obnoxious to your brother. You're just so in his face about the gospel that he just hates you and can't stand you. Or a son or a daughter who's just so obnoxious about things that your parent can't stand you. It's, it's a hatred because you have identified with Jesus. And their, their disdain is a disdain for Jesus. Right? Right? And here he's talking about a suffering that he himself has endured and is enduring because he himself has now come to his people. right The very people who are his own, who he created, who he loves, and they have rejected him. And they are about to turn him over to the authorities and yell, crucify, crucify. Right? They're about to kill him. And so the suffering that he is saying that they will undergo is a suffering that he himself is about to experience firsthand. We as Christ's people can and must bear the weight of suffering for his namesake as he allows in order to proclaim Jesus as Savior of the world and our dependency upon him. I want to read you a quote. This comes from Bill Lane in his commentary on Mark. And I think uh, it speaks to the situation that Mark was writing to, if you remember, Mark's writing to believers in Rome um, who are experiencing intense persecution, but I think that it also speaks to, you know, believers in the, first, in, in the 21st century, really around the world. So this is what he writes, he says, that this word should be treasured and recorded in Rome where persecution threatened to divide and decimate the young church should occasion no surprise. The Christians in Rome were regarded as odious despisers of men whose superstitious allegiance to Jesus was worthy of exemplary punishment. And their persecution under Nero had lent a terrible reality to this prophecy. And the Gospel of Mark made clear that no suffering had come to them that had not been foreseen by the Lord and experienced by Him. Suffering could be borne with patience, when it was brought on by the community's determination to bear witness to Jesus in fulfillment of the missionary task. Now I want you to think about this in light of just what's going on in the world today. Right? That these words that Jesus has given to His disciples should be treasured by the church today. Right? Where persecution... And again, you may not experience persecution today, but I do think it's coming. Right, And I do think it threatens to divide the church because there are many people in the church in America today who think that we should not experience any suffering if we really trust in Jesus. We should not experience any difficulty if we really trust in Jesus. Right, I was told by somebody that if I really trust... I was told by another local pastor that if I really trusted in Jesus... You know, um, the calamity that befell my wife would not have befallen her, right? There are those that believe such things in this life, right? The Christians in Rome were regarded as odious despisers of men, right? For For our belief in this, in the truth that God has proclaimed, you will be labeled an odious despiser of men. Because you believe the truth claims that the Scriptures have put forth about what what God has said about the fact that there is salvation in no other than in Jesus Christ. Right? You will be a despiser of men because you're saying that there is no God but, but Jesus alone. Right? And everything else that the Scriptures say and so therefore you'll be worthy of punishment. Worthy of punishment. But the gospel of Mark makes clear that no suffering that comes to us right, has not been foreseen by the Lord or experienced by him. Suffering that we may experience can be borne with patience if it is brought by our determination to bear witness to Jesus and fulfillment of the missionary task that he's given to us. This last point I just want to make once again. Christ has charged his disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're one of his disciples. In this way to prepare us, to prepare them and to prepare us to live presently as his followers in light of all that was And is to come. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name. And we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for all that you have done. And we thank you for the truth and the veracity of your word. For it is the only thing that we can build our lives on. And so, Father, I pray for your people today. That we would be people that would build our lives upon the truth of who you are that we would maintain a focus on You and on You alone. And when other things are crowding into our field of vision, demanding our attention, Father, I pray that, that we would keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews tells us. And Lord, I pray that when that fight is hard and difficult, that by a work of your Spirit, you would help us in that. And as we do that, Lord, that you would help us not be alarmed by the things that we see in the world, even as our heart breaks to see the suffering in the world and to see the things that break your heart, nations raging against nations and things that cause pain and hardship. And even as we seek to alleviate those things, help us to remember that you are restoring all things once and for all, but that they will not be restored until you restore them. We can help. We can serve. But that one day you will restore. And as people rise against your people, help us to be on our guard. Help us not to be anxious. Help us to be faithful, to present the gospel in every and any situation. And Lord, I pray that you would give your people the courage and the strength to endure to the end. Again, Lord, if there are any who have not yet embraced you, As Lord and Savior, we pray that by a work of your Spirit, that they would do that. And that you would be glorified in the redemption of your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.